Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Brian Massey is the founder and conversion scientist at Conversion Sciences, a data-driven conversion optimization agency with the lab coats to prove it. He is the author of Your Customer Creation Equation. His rare combination of interests, experience, and neuroses were developed almost 20 years ago as a computer programmer, entrepreneur, corporate marketer, international speaker, and writer. Welcome to INI, Brian. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you too. Talk to us more about your journey that really led you to conversion sciences. Well, you know, I did come to a point where there was nowhere else for me to go but to become <laughs> a conversion scientist. Um, a computer programmer in college, I saw a IBM salesperson and I thought, ooh, maybe I should do that. So I actually went into sales outside of, or when I graduated from college and rose to my highest level of incompetence at, at that <laughs> role. Uh, came back to Texas where I had grown up and got back into software and started my own company in the 90s. And we did that for seven years. A few of our clients got taken out by the dot-com bust, which took us out. So I spent the beginning part of the aughts building the marketing back ends for technology companies. And I really got an idea for, so I really got an understanding that I could build websites and I could watch what people were doing so I could make sure that my emails and my landing pages and my offers were all working to, to maximize the uh, generation of leads and sales. So I wrote at my, I had to write my own analytics package, use that conversion science, I'm sorry, that the uh, computer science capability of mine uh, until Google came out with theirs and it blew mine out of the water and it was much mm -hmm. easier to maintain. And Hey, but you were ahead of it, which is very, very impressive. I, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll go with that story. I was, was <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Anyways, after all that comes together, I don't know what else you do with an entrepreneurial computer science sales marketing guy, but become a conversion scientist. Mm. So in 2007, I put on a lab coat and hung a shingle and started convincing the rest of the world that the reason they were putting websites up was to make business work. And believe it or not, it was a hard, long slog. Well, it always is. How do you define your entrepreneurial spirit? How do I define my entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, it is somewhere, like somewhere between a, um, a rabid distrust of authority, which makes <laughs> me a pretty bad employee, and a, an un insatiable eagerness to, to do, be doing new things all the time. So mm -hmm. I'm the wrong person to put into a situation where I'm doing the same thing day after day. And I need to be teaching. I think that's one of the core tenets of conversion sciences. We've always blogged. I present all over the world. I've written books. Uh, and I do fantastic things like this to get the word out. Well, I tell you, we're going to help get that word out today. Talk to us more about really the what conversion sciences hangs their hat on to attract business and affect their bottom line. Sure. So for the longest time, since I was one of the early movers in this space, we've really been able to um, enjoy the, uh, the, the, the fruits of inbound marketing. So the content that we do and the presentations that we do, basically turning teaching into inbound traffic has, has really fed us. 
now that I've done a fantastic job of educating the marketplace and more people are piling into the conversion optimization space, uh, we are having to do more outreach. So um, in addition to the, uh, the, the blog posts and presentations, uh, we are uh, using one-to-one. -one, so uh, trade shows is something oh, that we're doing a lot more of. Um, and so uh, having a, more of a system in place, when someone first starts a conversation with you, it's a step into the relationship then before they buy from you. And I've always tried to maintain that. But as the, the primary salesperson here, I've not always had the bandwidth to do the kind of work that I wanted to do with that. So right. we're investing in those things. People I love it. will continue the conversation in good faith that, that folks start with us. Now, we're going to spend some time today um, talking about behavioral science, but before that, I want to um, get into your head a little bit about uh, some of the roadblocks that you continually face regarding, you know, the need to increase customer count for your clients that ultimately helps affect the bottom line and, and revenue. What are some of those roadblocks and, and how do you overcome them? You know, I think the biggest roadblock in digital marketing now, and it's the thing that um, I've really dedicated this year to, is a fear of statistics, a fear of science, a fear of data among marketers and also among among managers. Um, we are in a place where data is abundant. So back in the Mad Men days when it was really hard to get data, when you had to hire people to stand in front of apartment <laughs> stores and ask people going in and out questions and do surveys. And they were using this thing called a paper and pencil. They didn't paper. even have a, a, a computer. Yeah, well, when, when they did finally get a computer, it took a whole floor yeah. of their building. Back in those days, you, you really had no choice but to collect as much information as you could and then hand that information off to your creative team to do the, the copy, the images, the, the you know the, the delivered end product. We don't have that problem. Data is amazingly easy to access. It's it's inexpensive. We have all of these tools that allow us to see what people are doing and how they're behaving on our website. And marketers are going to have to start embracing this. The, the The days of launch and pray are over. We can now launch with confidence. We call it launch and knowing. And so this is what I think is one of the biggest barriers. Number one, the marketers who are fantastic digital marketers, even though they have a Russian literatures major, <laughs> um, there's some resistance when you come in and say, no, we're going to start doing science. When in fact, I contend we are all wired for behavioral science already. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk more about that. Define behavioral science for us and tell us why it's important. At its root, behavioral science is making decisions in our lives or in our careers or in our businesses based on the uh, behaviors of other people. So um, every time I go to Facebook and I look to see how many people liked, shared, commented on a post, I'm using their behaviors to shape how I'm going to communicate in the future. I think if I liked the cat, I'm going to continue to do cat things on Facebook. That's just one example of us using behavior, other people's behaviors to mold the way we do things in our life. When we uh, pick a book off the New York Times bestseller list or pick a movie based on its Rotten Tomatoes freshness score, we're using other people's behaviors. And I tell the story about my 14-year-old son who built his own computer and with his own money and this was very important to a teenager. Anybody who has teenagers knows that they don't go to the mall anymore. They meet online. And he was down to the last component 
um, it was the motherboard. This is a really important component of a computer because everything plugs into it. He had two choices, both about the same price. Both had the features he was looking for. One was a five-star rated motherboard online, and one was a four-star rated motherboard. <laughs> so you think if we weren't behavioral scientists, like five's better than four, so you buy the five-star, right? Right. But you won't be surprised. And he naturally did this, went and said, well, let's go see how many reviews are driving that rating. And the five-star motherboard only had five reviews. The four-star our motherboard had 250 reviews. So we all know that we trust that four-star rating more than the five-star rating. We're wired for this. This is built in. What we're doing is we're, cal we're using sample size to calculate the error rate, the error range for the data, four stars versus five stars. And the five-star motherboard clearly could be a one-star motherboard. So this is how we every day use data to predict the future for ourselves using other people's behaviors and other people's data. Does that Yeah, I love it. You know, it, it's truly a shift in, in thought process. You, you can't take things at face value. You've got to dig. And most people just look at it, you know, from a service standpoint and the ability with the cat example that you used to dig is right there in front of them. It is. Um, one of my favorite things to do is have people go in and look at their existing data. I make a joke about going down to the basement and opening the big oak door where you'll find the PPC people down there chipping away. <laughs> You've and created ask, quite a visual for us. <laughs> yeah, well, open the door slowly. The light might burn their eyes, but they will be very happy to see you and we'll give you a spreadsheet. It will give you some ideas about what sorts of offers and what words are really working with your audience. It's great behavioral data. I love it. Now, there is a big difference between intuition and research-based site strategies. How do we best integrate the two to develop optimal conversion performance? So the Mad Men style of uh, development, and this is really still done mostly, uh, most common, um, you know, with agencies and things, is do a lot of research at the beginning and then hand the whole thing off to the, the creative team. I recently had a client or an agency actually come to me and say, hey, our, uh, our, one of our best clients just asked for a redesign. We took them the wireframes and they looked at us like we had three arms. They said, wait a minute, we don't want to see this. Bring us some data that tells us what's driving your design decisions. And they had to call us, but this is what's happening. So I do the research at the beginning. We do want that delicious qualitative research. And then I write a positioning statement for whatever I'm selling, the kind of the core of the offer. And then I, um, I can test various forms of copy that uh, address that positioning statement. So I can put them in front of panels online, do it without leaving my desktop. I don't have to get a conference room and give people Starbucks cards to entice them to come in and ask them questions. It all happens online now. Mm. Find the right copy that works. Then I go and I take a selection of images and I give those the same test. So I've got the right copy. I've got the right images. I can put those in a layout to make sure that the eye is getting to the important parts of the page or to the website. I can do a layout study. I can do an online eye tracking study now in a matter of days, very inexpensively. Why not do that to see how my layout is working? Right. So you do each of these little studies along the way, the initial research, go look at your, your email service provider feedback, look at your AdWords, do these little um, these studies along the way. And so any key question you have, like what headline should I use? What image should I use? Should I use long copy or short copy? How should I present this? Which feature should go first? All can be answered very easily along the way. 
And then you launch and you get this amazing behavioral data where you're watching your people, your prospects, your customers interact with your creative. It's it's fantastic. It really is. And of course, uh, proper segmentation is needed to make sure that that research, you know, you can build upon it um, going into it, let alone out, outside of it. Take us through a, a typical process to segment correctly. To segment. So, you know, the there are some obvious ways to segment that I think a lot of people aren't quite acknowledging. Um, the most important one, and this has been true now for several years, but we treat, when we're optimizing a website, we optimize the mobile website as if it was a completely different company appealing to completely different people because that is exactly what happens. So that's the first bifurcation. Desktop and tablet, those, those folks behave roughly the same, but uh, people coming on small screen mobile devices are in a completely different context. They've got this amazingly powerful thumb which gets them through pages. Their scroll rates are amazing, but they, it's hard to fill out forms. And so we find ourselves completely changing the offers, focusing on things like click to call or focusing hmm. things uh, like things on autofill um, from social networks and things like that. Something that will let them uh, do a simple interaction with us to get the conversation started and then we can have them buy or continue the conversation on their desktop. Uh, different traffic sources behave differently. So those people coming from a paid search ad are gonna behave very differently. The nice thing about that though is we can direct them to specific landing pages and really deliver the experience that they expected. Uh, an ad makes a promise your landing page has to keep that promise. And we forget that by sending people to the homepage. Yeah. It's such a basic game. anymore. I know. It's, it's, an, it's an easy, easy win. New versus returning visitors, especially if you're in an industry where you have a lot of repeat buyers. And then we find things that we can really isolate um, along with the lines of browsers. Someone who has the default browser installed, we find is generally a little bit less tech savvy than someone who's coming on Chrome or Firefox. And we see different behaviors in that. So we can segment along those lines. There's so many things to consider. And then of course, you know, optimization is key, uh, which you've been weaving in here throughout our discussion. Why are most optimization strategies broken? So uh, our friends at convert.com, they're an A-B testing uh, tool um, did a little study on this and they found out that amongst all the people that are doing tests on their platform uh, you have to do seven tests to get one winner so that means mm -hmm. six out of seven tests are inconclusive wow now this is a function of two things number one it's the nature of science uh, we celebrate that we found out oh this is this is not an issue and we can move on to something else um, it's also a function of testing the wrong things. And we spend an inordinate amount of our process figuring out what ideas are most likely to, to uh, positively impact a website. Typically, we'll start off on a website. We'll get anywhere between 75 and 150 great ideas for improving the conversion rate. And since we're experts at this, we're only going to be wrong on half of them. <laughs> So we use these same little study tools that I was just talking about that's from the design process to bolster or remove hypotheses from our list that either demonstrate a likelihood that they'll, they'll do well in an A-B test or that really are probably not a problem and we can 
bump them down to the bottom of the list or remove them altogether. It's so important. You know, I, it's the, the shift in mindset regarding marketing has changed so much over the last, um, you know, several years. It, it, you know, it used to be where this, this whole concept of test and scale was out the door. It needed to be right. And there was obviously some research backing it, but it needed to be right out of the chute. And really, technology has allowed us to test so many things. Well, actually, let me back up. If it wasn't right out of the chute, the agency was either fired or the marketing manager was. You know, it was, you know, it was pretty dire straits, quite frankly. Mm. Um, now, we're able to test and scale so much um, that we can learn along the way, spend less doing it, and launch with something that we feel pretty confident in based on every channel and every audience, every segment that might be looking. So, you might launch with seven different messages knowing that you're going to be able to, to reach each and every audience with them. Yes. Well, and, uh, you know, I don't want it to, to sound overbearingly complex because it's really not. As you begin to get comfortable with these tools, number one, you're going to start using them in a different way. So most of us think, oh, I have an analytics database running under my site. It's been running for years. I don't go in and look at it because I'm not that savant that can go and stare at the numbers and understand what's going on. Right. Scratch that. We don't, that's something you do at the beginning. When you go in with specific questions such as, uh, how is this page performing? Is there, are a lot of people converting? Is there a high bounce rate? And you go and look at four specific questions, then suddenly analytics becomes very friendly. And as you get comfortable with just going in with specific questions, you spend, plan to stand, spend 15 or 30 minutes pulling some a uh, couple of these reports to answer specific question, you begin to appreciate how you stumble upon the, the different segments and that they're, they're behaving. You'll learn something about your visitors. That's what behavioral science is all about. So it's not about, uh, you know, having this huge structure with your segments and the research. It's about answering questions as you're optimizing or generating new creative ads, landing pages, websites, emails, go in and say, well, I wonder which of these would work best and figure out a way to do a little test that would, would demonstrate that. Yeah, I love it. Now we've talked about, you know, why most optimization strategies are broken. Let's turn that around and, and talk through the steps to take to ensure the desired optimization strategies are actually in place to succeed. Yeah. So you don't have to be a data scientist to do <laughs> conversion. Thank you for making us feel so comfortable regarding that. Yes, you do not. As I said, as I hopefully demonstrated, you've got it. It's wired. Uh, a little familiarity with these tools that are getting simpler and simpler and simpler every day and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper every day. Right. A little knowledge of statistics so that you're making good decisions when you do see the data. But more importantly, it's going to be things like this. Make sure you're managing your own biases. So the whole point of the science is to keep you from looking at the data and making decisions that you thought were true. So there's this thing called confirmation bias. And it is our tendency to pick data or stories or points in a conversation that support what we already believe. And of course, that can work against us if we think our visitors are a certain kind of person that they're going to work very logically. So we need to manage that. And that's really what this is all about, is managing that bias. So understanding how to come in with child's mind on any mm. question and being okay with those inconclusive tests or that beautiful, beautiful ad you developed that isn't testing well on Facebook. You got to let it go. And I know it's your favorite, but let it go because we are really 
trying to deliver what our visitors want, not what we want them to have. You know, I think that piece alone has been something that account managers have been in a position that they've got to soft pedal the creatives uh, anymore because there was, there is and, and should be so much pride in the creative process, but it has become fragmented. And, you know, training creative directors to, to turn around concepts and, and writers in 12 hours and 24 hours now versus months has been a real juxtaposition for those departments within, you know, agencies and, you know, enterprise businesses out there. How have you tackled that in, in you know, that topic yourself in your own business? That topic in terms of, just to make sure I'm understanding your question. You know, the fact that you don't have two weeks, uh, three months to develop creative concepts anymore. You know, sometimes you got to turn them around in 12 hours, 24 hours. Yeah, I, it is the nature of marketing. So it is more to do. There's more and more digital opportunity. There's more ad formats that you can choose from. There's more sources of, of ad traffic. You know, where every day we're we're doing dealing with some new Google ad format or we're trying to figure out how to move on to Instagram or whatever's going to come next beyond Instagram. And so yes, we find that our ability our create ability is limited. Now here's the beauty of data. And so I think a lot of people see data as putting themselves in a box or I've got to just go with what works and creativity is out the window. But the truth of the matter is that every one of us has had that great idea on Friday where we're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this could really transform things. This aha moment. You spend the whole weekend imagining the ads and the, the words you're going to use and the landing pages and the emails that could go out and how it would be a fundamental shift. And then on Monday, you realize, you know what? It's a little risky. This is a, this is a big turn. I really can't sell this internally. And so you shelve it and you move on with what's safe. When you can do these little tests, you can actually put those ideas in front of people and keep the crazy one, the crazy ideas on the table. That's what our hypothesis list is for. And this excites me a lot. If you're a marketer and you're dealing with an agency to help you do some of this creative stuff, how do you keep them honest? When they come yeah. to you and say, here are my three mock-ups, pick one. You should say, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm not a designer. Collect me some data on these things. You know that it can be done in a couple of days inexpensively and then let the data decide. Yeah, I love it. So you're managing agencies. You're managing helicopter executives. You're, you're being more creative. Creative, and this is what I love about data. You know, it's a it's an incredible mindset for the account uh, teams to actually share with account managers, and, and this goes for internal CMOS and even CMOS with their their outside agency relationships. Quite frankly, you know, any marketing department out there that you're able to actually push out more creative. Let's just test what works and ultimately uh, drive what can create that ROI. I love it. Now, where are most marketing and IT managers missing the boat regarding data? So I think that the data only works if there is a culture of experimentation. So mm -hmm. the, the shift is this. We're going to launch fewer dud campaigns. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the time and, and media costs that we're throwing away in that process. And we're going to pull some of it back. We're going to spend a little bit more of that time and money on the front end in uh, investing in data. The learning curve and the difficult part is knowing how to, to experiment, knowing how to put a little experiment together that will answer a specific question for you or tell you that you're on, going the right direction or help you choose between two bits of creative. And that is cultural because to give you an idea, you can imagine for us when we spend four hours on a little analysis that 
ends up at the end of the day going, oh, that really, yeah, that wasn't an issue. That data is not going to be helpful to us. After spending four hours, it's, uh, it's a little bit hard to justify that unless you have a culture that is, that's part of the process. So let's allow that to happen. And I think once managers learn to allow that and create it, it will uh, let people make decisions much, much less expensively than launching something and buying a bunch of media and hoping that it works. Yeah, I love it. And you you said it. I mean, it, it becomes a part of the culture, right? Which means not only does, you know, the management team need to assure that upper management is agreement in agreement with that culture, but they've got to have that mindset of it's okay to test and scale. We talked about that earlier. It's okay to find out that something isn't working because guess what? We found out sooner instead of hanging, you know, our hat on, on the idea, um, which is, as you've said, a shift. Uh, which I think more marketing teams really need to tackle and uh, grasp uh, mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's going to make the difference between success and not success in the next, right. I don't know if it's 24 months, I don't know if it's 12 months, I don't know if it's 36 months, but it's soon. It's not, it's not out there in the distance. No, it isn't. Now, what is one of the coolest programs that you've deployed that worked really well and ignited customer count for a client? So probably one of the outliers, one of the most exciting ones for me was a company that we were working with called Wasp Barcode. Now, this is a company selling to other businesses. It's inventory and asset management software. Primary goal of their website is to get people to do a demo. If they could get people on, on Uh, an online demo, their salespeople were very knowledgeable and very effective. They wanted to rebrand. So typically what would happen is we'd do an all-in redesign. Not us. We don't do that. They would hire an agency and we say, we want to rebrand. And the agency would do all of this research at the beginning and then their creatives would take over. And six to 12 months later, they would push a completely new website out into the world all at once with tens of thousands of assumptions none of which had been tested before this big push out. They just chose to engage with us and we did an evolutionary redesign. And so what we did is we started on the landing pages, which is typically not part of the site. So you can make that look a little bit different for paid traffic. Found the right things that were working there, discarded some things that weren't working, then moved them to one of the product pages found what worked there, then went to the demo sign-up landing page, which is the what we call one of the money pages where people um, essentially convert, found a design there that worked, and over time worked our way all the way back to the home page. Now, the advantage of this is that within three months of starting the redesign where all of this work would have been done by an agency or a team in the background, we had already increased the conversion rate by like 250%. Wow. Uh, we found some really key problems early in the process. And think about it, we don't call ourselves a design firm, but we're constantly redesigning an, a, a website by trying new things and seeing what works and what doesn't work. So for Wasp Barcode, it was within six months, they had much more beautiful site that met their requirements. We had thrown away some things that were bad ideas kept the things that were good ideas. And during the whole process, they were enjoying higher and higher conversion Mm -hmm. rates. That's fantastic. Congratulations on that. Um, That's what we as marketers try to achieve with every single one of our clients. And and when they let you do your job, that is when ultimately you can achieve great results for that, with that rather. Brian Massey, I've so enjoyed our conversation today. I I love uh, something that you said earlier, and it really, I think, sums up our conversation so well. Data is amazingly easy to access. Embrace this. The data 
days of launch and pray are over. Thank you for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.